Well, good morning. We are so glad that you are with us this morning, and we are kicking off a new nine-week series on Conversations with Jesus, and I am so excited about this series. Matt and I have been working this uh, past several weeks about getting our curriculum written, and so that curriculum is available this Sunday. I know you're going to enjoy working through that. Uh, But we're going to be talking about relationships. We're kicking off this series today, and so I want you to stop for a second. I just want you to breathe. Breathe deep, and then let it out. And then push your shoulders down a little bit, because we're going to be talking about relationships. (laughs) And you need to be prepared for relationships, because you know, I don't know if it's a surprise to you, certainly not a surprise to me, relationships take what? They take work, and they take time. And so working on relationships can be difficult. And so I don't know where you are with the relationships around you. I don't know if you've got brothers or sisters, mom or dad, maybe a husband or a wife, maybe somebody at work, school, neighborhood, small group, ministry that you might serve in. We have a lot of relationships with people around us, don't we? And relationships take time. And we have to be strategic about what relationships we invest in because we can't invest in all the relationships we have. And so one of the things that's interesting is is that the quality of a relationship is almost directly related to the time that you invest in it. And so relationships take work and they take time, which is why we can't be friends with a thousand people on Facebook, (laughs) right? Those are not friends, those are acquaintances. Now, I might be friends with some of them, but you know, I think on average, uh, most people have a lot of Facebook friends, 500, 1,000. How many more have more than 1,000 friends on Facebook? Anybody? You know, those people are just really active on Facebook, and that's not a place where you can go to build relationships because you can't invest time there. You know, you might be able to post, uh, you know, some information about how much weight you've lost or what you're having for dinner or, you know, the verse of the day. And so we can post things on social media, but those are not relationships that we're building. That's just information that we're sharing with people around us. And we are in the information age. I don't know if you know that. We are all about information. I can find out anything I need to know about any subject, boom, in seconds. And we are in an information age. And in fact, you know, statistically, it's amazing. I was looking at some, you know, just some just polls last, last week. And one poll claimed to be the authoritative, most authoritative on the results for where people spend most of their time on their cell phones. And it was really interesting to look at how... The older generation, how the younger generation are using their cell phones. Now, I've always heard that the younger generation is kind of moving away from Facebook, but I think there's a lot of people that are still on Facebook. There's a lot of people on Instagram. In fact, the estimates are that if you are under 37 years of age, you're spending over seven hours a day on your cell phone. And if you are over 37, you're in the neighborhood between four to five hours a day on your cell phone. And it's really interesting. It sounds like that doesn't seem realistic until you use that little app that tells you how much time you've been spending on your cell phone. It adds up really quickly. And so people are on their cell phones a lot. The younger generation spends a lot of time texting. The older generation spends a lot of time on email and messenger. Surprisingly enough, both generations do use their cell phones as an actual phone. And so we see that as well. The younger generation does a lot of podcasts and Snapchats. The younger generation... Uh, it's usually a little bit more of the social part of that. And then you get into the older generation. It's usually news apps. I was surprised by Twitter. I've got a Twitter account. I still haven't quite figured that out. But we spend a lot of time on our cell phones. 
And it's amazing because if you think about it, there's only 24 hours in a day. You should sleep eight hours because your body needs rest, right? I can get away with maybe six or seven, but our bodies need to rest. And hopefully we've got jobs and we're working. God's designed us for work, and that's how he provides for us. And so, you know, theoretically, you're sleeping eight hours and you're working eight hours. And that only gives you eight hours out of a 24-hour day to do something personal with it. And most of that time is spent on a cell phone. But you know what's interesting? A cell phone is just not something we do with our personal time. It's actually infiltrated all of our relationships, right? So how many of these pictures look familiar? You know, it was funny. Last night I went to bed and uh, went to bed early. I was setting my alarm this morning, and I looked over, and Carolyn was setting her alarm, and, and that was us in the lower picture. We both had a glow on our face. <laughs> that is perfect. Now, how many of you go to bed, the last thing you do is look at your cell phone? I mean, that's not uncommon for people to do that. We were at a restaurant last week, and I kid you not, it was funny because my family finally did to shut me down and say, would you stop it? It was amazing to look at how many people are on their cell phones while they're eating dinner, just having you know, a meal together. And so it's also moved its way into the dinner table and into our conversations. And so we are an information-driven culture. It is all about information and being connected and sharing information, and it is affecting our relationships. It's affecting our relationships and our families. It's affecting our relationships across the board. And those relationships that we are being affected by because of this information age are also affecting our relationship with God. You see, because relationships have a nature to them. It's we spend time, we talk and listen, and just like we do with each other, we spend time in relationships horizontally with others. And so we, and as those relationships start to get broken or confused or not what they should be, it also affects our relationship with God. Because we think about relationships in one sense, it affects both areas of our life, with others and with God. And so if you're feeling like people around you are distant or that you don't have any friends or there's some depression that comes around from just your relationships with each other, that affects your relationship with God. And so if your relationships with others are feeling distant, most likely your relationship with God's feeling distant. Or on the, it works inversely. If your relationship with God is what it should be, and that's growing, then there's some stability that comes from that, and it affects the relationships with others as well. And so our relationships are both horizontal and they're vertical. And so as we think about what it means to be in the information age, it's important that we stop to think not just about sharing information, but think about the heart of what relationships are all about. And that's what this series that we're going to be kicking off with and looking at the next nine weeks is the heart of what relationships are all about. We're going to be looking at a series of one-on-one conversations with Jesus. Wouldn't that be great to sit down and have a one-on-one conversation with Jesus? You can do that through his word. And we look at Jesus, he's going to stop and have one-on-one conversations. Nine weeks, we're going to look at nine individual one-on-one conversations and we're going to learn some things about relationships as modeled to us from Christ himself. And what's really exciting is as we go through this series together, you have an opportunity not just to hear some information, but you have an opportunity to get together in the context of small groups to share and to talk about what you're learning. You see, this is information I'm sharing with you right now. You can't stop and raise your hand and say, well, wait a second, I've got a question here. And so this is not really relationship building. This is information. It's God's word that transforms our lives, and so we need that. It's important. But relationships happen best in the context of talking and listening to one another, which is one of the benefits of small groups. Building relationships is about talking and listening to one another and making the time to be able to do that. And small groups are the best place uh, to see and experience life change. 
It's an opportunity to get to know other people, to study the Bible, to ask questions, to talk about how to apply it to your life, to enjoy being in community together with a smaller group. They're an important part of our strategy for helping people get connected and experiencing growth uh, at Springbrook. And so if you're not in a small group right now, I encourage you, you can go to our website, springbrook.org slash sign up. You get a list of all of our small groups. A lot of our small groups are filled up. We've got a couple of new groups. We've got some groups that are praying for people to join. I know Ryan and Krista Anderson are up in Woodstock right now, and they've got a group. They've got plenty of room in their group. And so as you look down through your list, I'd encourage you to try a small group. And if you're in a small group, I want to encourage you to commit the time to meeting with one another as we go through this series together. I guarantee it will change your life and grow you in your faith. So if you have any questions about small groups, I'd love the opportunity to talk with you uh, more about that. But this time I'd like to invite Andy Suarez to come out. Andy is uh, one of our small group leaders, and he's also uh, an elder at Springbrook. And then he also runs the soundboard today. And so you can it back here just in time. (laughs) So I'm going to invite Andy to uh, sit down. We're just going to have a conversation just really briefly about small groups. And so um, I know that we've been talking about the importance of building relationships and what happens in a small group. You know, not that texting's bad or not that, uh, you, know, you know, just spending time on the phone's, you know, not a bad thing either. But there's something about getting together face-to-face that just really grows us in our relationships. And so I know you're a small business owner. You're, um, you're a small group leader. And so as you think about the relationships that you have around you, what are some times that you find it's beneficial to ten- send a text? When do you pick up the phone and what's face-to-face? How do you use those three forms of communication when you talk to people? Yeah, I mean, um I'm, I'm, I have a small business that's in technology, so I love technology, and so I love using the different things that technology bring to the table. You know, we've got texting now, and we've got messaging apps, and all types of different stuff, and so, um, so for quick information, something like a text or a quick message might yeah. be a, a great way to, to do something, but, you know, you start kind of progressing through the levels of, you know, you're very surface related on a text message, like you're not going to be able to find somebody's emotions, you know, you've got your emojis and your emoticons and things like that. So a smiley face, I'm going to hope that you're happy about what it is That's that you just said. That's a technological aspect of emotions, right, is the emoji. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, and then you go onto a phone call where you might hear, like, the infliction in somebody's voice or something. Um, but, you know, then you move to a, a face-to-face. And so, you know, if I've got a client that's having a problem with something, I'm not going to text them back and forth. I'm going to call them on the phone. And if it seems like we're not figuring things out, I'm going to say, hey, let's let's go meet. We're going to want to meet about this. And so I want to get face-to-face with that person and have a conversation with them. And so it's kind of c- comes into the same thing, even like in our small groups or something. So we might check in with each other. Um, how you doing? How'd that test go? How'd this thing happen um, with text? But uh, you get to the point where you want to get that face-to-face with somebody that, that you can only get when you're face-to-face with somebody. You can see their body language and, yeah. and how they're acting. And There's something about the visual part mm-hmm. of communication. You know, um, statistically, 5% of communication is words, 45 is tone, 50% of communication is what you pick up sure. in the nonverbal. And so it really is kind of interesting that as things become more important, um, it kind of ratchets up on the communication. You make time for things that are important. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with regard to relationships. And so I know that, you know, I get, um, I get text reminders for devotions and the YouVersion Bible app sends me, you know, passages that I can read. And so, and I listen to a lot of podcasts. And so, you know, I've listened to, um, you know, just different things that have helped me grow spiritually. But talk for a minute about the importance of face-to-face conversations as it relates to your spiritual growth. Yeah, um, I mean, so most of my spiritual growth has happened through face-to-face interactions. It's been in a small group or it's been in a Bible study. 
Um, it's been in some type of discipleship. Uh, and I can think of several different things that have happened over the last many years that <laughs> I can look back on and go, wow, I really grew from that. And those types of things where you're, you know, together with one person, maybe a few people, but something small and intimate, that's when you're really experiencing life together. You're getting their opinions on things. You're sharing your opinions. Um, you can, you know, open up a book and you can look together at the, a passage or something. And so there's just, there's just something you can't get that you can get from an in-person um, type of a thing like that, like a small group or a Bible study. Yeah. You know that face-to-face is, uh, is really important. And so when people think about, hey, I, I have questions about God or the Bible or I want to grow spiritually, um, typically, uh, if you really want to do that, you're going to have to make some time and you're going to have to meet with somebody face-to-face. And so that's why we talk about how important small groups are. And I know that's been your experience, that you know, through those face-to-face conversations is where you have mm-hmm. experienced the most spiritual growth. We know it's important. We talk about it being important. What are some of the barriers for, if we know it and we talk about it, why people don't experience that? You know, what's been your experience yourself? Or yeah, I mean, um, you know, time, in my, you know, as I've gotten older, I've found that time is, like, my most important commodity. protected commodity. <laughs> and so I'm sharing time between so many different things, and those things become less and less, and I'm trying to invest more time into them, whether it's the church or whether it's my family or whether it's, um, my work, and so um, finding time to do things like get together with somebody or get in that face-to-face with somebody to have that conversation because that's how the relationship is going to progress. Um, that's that's like a big give, and so a lot of people will have issues with that though because well, you put other things in front of it, and so it's really about prioritizing things, and so if it's important for you to get to know somebody better or maybe it's important for you to get to know God better, um, through a Bible study or something, um, you've got to you've got to be able to make the time and commit to it. Just like you might commit to taking the time to, I don't know, what are you watching? Maybe you're watching <laughs> Nailed It to learn how to cook better or something like that. I don't know, right. but but maybe you're doing that. But you're going to commit the time to that to to make that progression in your learning. And so if you're trying to um, get more spiritually learned, let's say, um, you've got to commit time to that. Yeah, I know your your time is a commodity it is very valuable i appreciate the time that you serve here Mm -hmm. and certainly appreciate your leadership but as you think about managing your time and all the relationships that you have around you how important have the relationships become to you with people in your small group and as it relates to you think about how your time how important is that relationship that's really important um so i've got different small groups that i'm in and um you know, you first start into a small group and you really don't know anybody. I mean, even the group that we started, we really didn't know everybody very well. Um, and so as you get to know people, you start to really learn a lot more about them and, and learning more about them and getting that relationship. You care more about them and you care about what's going on with them and then vice versa is happening. They're caring about you and they want to know what's going on with you. And um, as this relationship starts to um, progress, it it just becomes much more important. Like you really, you're praying for that person on a regular basis. You're thinking about them. You want to check in with them and see how they're doing. You're concerned about them. And so, um, so yeah, I think that, that, and then because that's something that's important to you, you end up giving more of a very important commodity of yours time towards it. And so, um, so yeah, I think that becomes a very important thing. Yeah. 
I know that um, uh, it's been a joy just kind of watching Rebecca as you've kind of connected, as you've grown, as you step into leadership. I know it's been fun to watch how things have kind of come together in your small group. How much room do you have for people in your small group? If somebody's looking for a small group, should we send a lot of people your way? Uh, we're, we're kind of full now. Um, <laughs> with kids and adults, we're close to 30. So we've got a lot of people running around my house. So. Yeah. Okay, so I know Andy's got a really full group right now. I know Brian and Christy Anderson right now are praying for somebody to join their group. Mm-hmm. And so one of the dynamics, I just encourage you, that is if you're looking for a group, they're important. If you're looking for a small group, look down through our website. Uh, if you see a group that looks interesting, click the link, email the letter, just say, hey, have you got room? Love to have, I'd love to join your group. I've told all of our small group leaders, please, please make room uh, for people in your small group. But we're also praying for new small groups. Uh, we know small groups are important. We've got a limited amount of those. And so if, uh, if you are interested in hosting maybe your own group, we've got some curriculum out at the uh, ministry center. You can pick up that curriculum. And if you are interested in maybe having somebody come over to your house, um, just to get together for an hour, hour and a half to talk about this lesson, um, you can pick up that curriculum. Let me know. If you'll just email me, uh, Richard R. Willard at springbrook.org. You can go to our website. There's a place for you to sign up. I'd love to talk with you about hosting uh, your own group. Or if you're in a group and you're thinking, hey, I'll make some room uh, for people and I'm willing to step out of my group to help other people experience that, would love to help you have a good experience. Small groups are really an important part of our strategy for oh, yeah. building relationships with people here at Springbrook. And Andy, I want to thank you for your leadership thank as you. a small group leader, as an elder. And thanks for serving on the uh, multimedia today. So Great. if I have any problems with my sound, I can just kind of I'll wave at you. <laughs> thanks, right. brother. Right, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we talk a lot about how to have a relationship with Christ at Springbrook. It's really important that we help people to understand we serve a God that loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us. I think for me growing up, I believed that there was a God exist intellectually. I was committed. I went to church every once in a while. But that relationship piece was something that kind of always eluded me. I never knew how to have a relationship with Christ. So maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, I'd like to have a relationship with Christ, but I have no idea what that looks like. Or maybe you've had a relationship with Christ for a while and you're thinking, wow, I just, but it feels stagnant and I haven't been growing or maybe you're here this morning, you have a vibrant relationship with Christ, and you know, we praise God for that. But I know a lot of times people have questions about how to have a relationship with Jesus and how complicated that might be. It's not. It is so easy to have a relationship with God through Jesus. You do it exactly like we were just doing it together with Andy. Having a relationship with God is about talking and listening to God. That's what a relationship is about. It's about making time to talk and listen to God. And you can talk and listen to God exactly like I was just talking with Andy. What questions do you have for God? Do you have any questions that you'd like to ask God? Have you ever asked him or do you just hold that internally? Have you ever audibly asked God, God, why are you doing this? Or have you ever written down maybe on a journal, God, this is, I, need, I need you to help me answer this question. And so talking to God is as simple as you initiating that conversation. If God feels distant to you, it's because you're not leaning into it and asking him questions and sharing things that are on your heart. Talking and listening to God is as simple as this. We ask God questions, and God has answers. Now, unfortunately, in our community today, just in our culture, when we think about our relationship with God, there's a lot of talking that goes on on our behalf. There's not a whole lot of this listening. And so talking to God is pretty easy. What we have to do after we do all of our talking, whether it's prayer or crying out to God or asking questions, is then we have to listen to God. And God speaks to us just like Andy would speak to me. 
God speaks to us through his word. Listening to God is as simple as picking up your Bible. How do you listen to God? You listen to God right here. It's through the Bible that God speaks to us. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to be looking through the book of John this week. John chapter 1 opens up with this. It says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. So there's a word, it's with God, and the word was God. So Jesus is both with God and he's God. When you're talking to a Jehovah's Witness, they'll put the word A in there, and they'll take away most of you know, people that you talk about, about Christianity, are a little bit confusion about who God is. There's one God that exists as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's important that Jesus be God or our sins aren't forgiven. But it says that Jesus was the Word, He was with God, and He was God. In the beginning was God. Jesus has always been. As you read through Colossians, all things were created by Him, for Him, through Him. Jesus was at the beginning, was the Word, was God, was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was not made. As you look down in verse 14, it says this, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was God. He was the word. He came down and dwelt among us. And we have seen him. We have seen his glory. We have seen the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus is the word. And so if you want to have a relationship with him, if you want to have a relationship with your father, it starts by understanding that Jesus is the word. And when you listen to these words, this is Jesus speaking to you. Jesus is the word. And the words that we have were God-breathed and inspired and given to us so that we might be found approved before God. Jesus speaks to us through his word And if you want to talk and listen to God, you have to start by first making time. You have to come from over there to over here. I'd encourage you to find a spot where you can pray and talk to God. Not that listening to Moody is not a good thing. Not that listening to a podcast or listening to him on the radio is a bad thing. You know, praying in your car is a good thing. But those are things that interfere with your relationship. If you want to work on a relationship with God, it starts by taking the time, set yourself apart, find a quiet place where you can pick up your Bible and you can read and God will speak to you and you can speak to him and your relationship with him will grow. And that's what we do in our small groups. We make time and we sit together and we talk and we study together. But you can do that on your own as well. So I encourage you to pick up one of those small group study guides today. Um, Go through this series with us together. Find a small group. God will speak to each of us through his word. And this morning we're going to look at a conversation where God speaks to us through the story of Nicodemus. We're going to look at a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. If you brought your Bibles with you, you can turn to uh, uh, the book of John, chapter 3. Just go to the middle and uh, just make your way towards the right until you get to the book of John. In John, chapter 3, you see the conversation with Nicodemus get picked up, and it begins with this in verse 1. If you brought uh, your version Bible app, you can follow along with us as well. But if you brought your Bible, um, you turn with us. If you don't have anything, then you can just listen along here. It says this, beginning in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was the ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said, well, how can these things be? Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so that's the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And then John steps back and he gives us his perspective on the conversation from the Father's perspective and for ours. And he says this beginning in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people have loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does the wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God in heaven. Now this morning in our passage, we're going to look at three questions that Nicodemus asks Jesus. We're going to learn some things about relationships, you know, through this conversation. But as we begin to dig into this text again, let's just stop and pause and ask God to give us rest and calm our hearts for what he would have for us this morning. Father, I just thank you for this day you've given us. I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, for the things that we can learn through these different conversations. And God, I just want to pray that you would help us to be able to put aside any distractions that we have in our minds. Um, God, help us to be able to focus on what you have for us this morning as we look strategically at this conversation with Nicodemus. Thank you for your word. I pray that it would be written in our hearts and lift our remainder of our time up to you this morning for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. So in this uh, conversation between Nicodemus, we're going to learn three lessons about relationships. We're going to learn that relationships are not just based on knowledge, not just based on commitment. They're actually a matter of the heart. The first lesson that we learn about in this conversation is about knowledge. You see, Nicodemus is a very smart man. Nicodemus knows a lot. Uh, knowledge is not his issue. He knows about Jesus. He just doesn't know Jesus. But he was really an intelligent guy. In fact, in verse 1, it said this about Nicodemus. He was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And notice, he wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a man of the Pharisees. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. A Pharisee is someone that had a strict observance of the traditions to the written law. He was a ruler of the Jews. He held an office. In verse 10, when Jesus talked to him, he said, you know, he, aren't you a teacher of Israel? Not, not a teacher, but aren't you the, the teacher of Israel? And so Nicodemus is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He is one of the teachers of Israel. 
As you read down through the rest of the book of John, you see in chapter 7 that Nicodemus was actually a member of the Sanhedrin. He was one of the few chosen men that were called to be a part of seeing, overseeing the entire land of Israel. This man is smart. It would be as if he's a Supreme Court justice overseeing the entire land. And to kick off his conversation with Jesus, he said this in verse 2. He wanted to know about Jesus. He says, we know you're a teacher, that you've come from God. No one can do these signs unless God is with him. And so he doesn't quite get his question out. Jesus is going to cut him off in just a second. But what's interesting about this is, what is Nicodemus coming to the conversation with Jesus for? He wants more information. He's already one of the most intelligent real rabbis. He's already one of the sharpest guys in the room. He's already very knowledgeable. And what is he looking for from his relationship with Jesus? More information. He's just piling more information on the information he's already had. And I love what Jesus does. He replies to him in verse 3. And it's interesting because he almost just, he almost just cuts him off. And, and, you know, as you read through uh, next week, we're going to be looking at Jesus with the Samaritan woman. And it's really interesting the way he talks to her because he's kind. He, you know, he spends time engaging with her. He almost develops this relationship. And so the conversation with Jesus is different for each person that we're going to look at, you know, through this series. But with Nicodemus, it's almost as if he cuts him off halfway. It's almost like, you know, Nicodemus says, hey, we know, we know that you are, uh, that you're performing these miracles. We know that God's, God's got to be with you. And he almost cuts him off mid-sentence and says, you know, stop right there. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so he doesn't even get his question out of the box. And Jesus cuts him off with the reality of, hey, look, you've got enough information. What you have is really, you're going to have a, you're going to have a heart problem that we have to address. Right out of the box, Jesus puts it out there. Just says, look, you're asking knowledge questions and you have a feeling problem. You can almost feel the question coming and Jesus just cuts him off and says, look, do something with what you already know. You know, you are already the most intelligent guy on the block. You know, you know that. I'm telling you, unless you're born again, you know, you're missing the point. You are not going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. He's making a statement that I have firsthand knowledge and authority about. Truly, truly is reflective of the fact that not only is this true, but I have the authority to speak it. And so I'm telling you that one cannot see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so you've got to give Nicodemus some credit here because, uh, you know, he's talking about being born again. It's kind of a foreign concept to Nicodemus, but he sticks through the conversation with Jesus. You know, being born again reflects a change of heart. Being born again is not just something that you do with your mind. It's a shift in your heart from indifference or hostility towards God to a love for him and a desire for what's best for you in his life, in your life. You know, knowledge is important. But this issue of being born again is a heart issue. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you have a heart problem. And Jesus is going to get to that in just a moment. But he catches Nicodemus off guard, and Nicodemus digs in a little bit. This is where we find the second fact about relationships, that, that, that their commitment to relationships is important. See, Nicodemus, when he hears this, doesn't just go, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. He goes, oh, man, I can't wait to get back to tell my friends what you just said. <laughs> You know, Nicodemus is committed into the conversation. You know, he's come at night 
there's a lot of speculation about why he comes in the night. You know, there's uh, some that think that he's maybe just prideful. You know, he's, I'm supposed to know everything, and now I'm going to ask Nicodemus. Um, I know all these things, but I'm going to Jesus to ask him some questions that I probably should know. So maybe there's some pride in there. Maybe there's some embarrassment. You know, I should have known these. I don't know. So maybe he's embarrassed a little bit. Maybe he's just curious. You know, the Pharisees are really hostile towards Christ, and so maybe he's just a little bit curious, and he's trying to figure out how to find, you know, some answers to his questions. But Nicodemus is committed to this conversation. And he digs in and he asks the the second, he asks a second question. He says this in verse 3. How can man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now that's really kind of a, uh, that's a perplexing question, you know, um, my wife and I have been married for 34 years. We've had four kids, and I have the opportunity to see all four of my kids born. And so I'm going to give Nicodemus the benefit of the doubt here that maybe he just hadn't seen that. <laughs> He's a pretty smart guy. And so I look at that question, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I don't know what the nature of that question is. I wish I knew more about Nicodemus. But this is a smart guy that is struggling with a heart issue. And I think in all earnest, he's seen the miracles that Jesus performed, and he's really wondering what Jesus is going to say and how he's going to answer this question. I've seen your miracles. Tell me more about this. I am, I am curious. And again, Jesus points Nicodemus to his heart problem. You see, he's committed to this relationship. He's digging in, he's answering questions. And, uh, but Jesus points him again to his heart problem. He's committed to this conversation, but Jesus says, look, you're not getting what I'm trying to tell you. Beginning in verse 5, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, you're thinking about this with your mind. Grateful you're here. You're thinking about this from a knowledge perspective. And if you think about things from a fleshly perspective, you're looking for a fleshly answer, and I don't have that for you. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus is pointing him to a heart issue. He's trying to think of things from a knowledge perspective and from a commitment perspective. He's not addressing the heart issue, which is what it means to be born again. You see, this issue of being born with water and spirit is an issue that's relevant for all of us today. Baptism is a ceremonial expression of an individual confession of having a change of mind and heart from sinfulness to righteousness. That's what baptism is. That's what John was doing at the beginning in chapter in, in John. At the beginning of John, that's what Jesus is doing. He's baptizing people for the repentance of their sins. And water baptism is only a shadow at this point of the reality of needing to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Both of those are needed, and both of those are present for us today. That's what happens when somebody makes a faith commitment today and why we encourage them to get baptized. It's a reflection of a change of heart and mind and an opportunity to outwardly confess Jesus Christ as Lord and identify with him in that way. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, you're thinking about this with your mind. Don't think about being born again from a, from a knowledge perspective, from a worldly perspective, from a fleshly perspective. It's a spiritual issue that you need to address. Being born again is a spiritual issue. It's a heart issue. And next in verse 7, Jesus says this, don't be surprised by what I'm saying to you. 
Don't be surprised by what I'm saying to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. Oh, the next verse, verse 9. Yeah, do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. You got, next, you got another verse up there? Is verse 9 up there? Yeah, okay. Okay, so when you're, when you're thinking about, yeah. Okay, that was the question. Thank you. So I missed the cue there. So what happens in verse 8 is, is, is that, that Jesus is trying to help him to understand that you're trying to think about this being born again from a mental perspective. And you need to be thinking about this from a spiritual perspective. And so when he said in verse 7, it was about not being surprised by what I'm telling you. It's not something that you can use your mind for. Salvation is not a works-based faith. And so it's not about knowledge and being committed and working. It's something you can't earn. It's a faith issue. It's an invisible heart issue, just like with the wind. You can't see it. You can't see the wind. You can't explain to somebody what the wind looks like. You can only see the effects of it. And that's the way it is with being born again and what it means to be living by the Spirit. It's a faith heart issue. And so Jesus now has the attention of Nicodemus. And we start to get a glimpse of that heart issue. And that was the third fact that we see in our relationship uh, between Nicodemus and Jesus is what is this issue of the matter of the heart and why is that important? At this point, Nicodemus is kind of speechless. It's interesting because he started out his conversation with Jesus and um, he asked, uh, he asked his first question, he had um, uh, 27 words in it. Jesus gives him an, uh, an 18-word answer. In this next verse, he asks a 23-word answer, and Jesus gives him a 90-word you know, answer. In this question, in verse 9, when Jesus asks him about this heart issue, he says, how can these things be? It's only five words. And so Nicodemus has gone from being a talker to being a listener. And so he's moving from his mind to his heart. You know, when you think about relationships, being talking and listening, and most of our relationships, it's almost all of us doing all the talking. We don't stop to listen. And it's been interesting to watch Nicodemus and through his conversation with Jesus is starting to step back and, and be more focused on listening. And then Jesus gives him an answer that's over almost 100 words long. So Nicodemus is starting to experience heart change. He's had so many questions up to this point, and now he's got this how can it be? That's a heart question, isn't it? I hear what you're saying. I'm here. How can these things be? That's where the heart questions begin for Nicodemus. Have you ever tried to explain to somebody why you love them? That's a heart issue, isn't it? You love somebody, why? You know, have you ever tried to explain to somebody why you feel that something is important in your life? Have you ever tried to explain to somebody how good it feels to be forgiven because of what Christ accomplished for you on the cross? These are heart issues, and Nicodemus needs to focus his attention there. And so he asks, how can this be? And Jesus says to him in verse 10, he says this, Truly, truly, we speak of what we know we being the, me and the disciples, we speak of what we know. We bear witness to you for what we have seen, but you do not receive it. Why do you not believe what I'm telling you? You have the information, you have the commitment, you have a heart issue. Why do you not receive it? I've told you earthly things and you don't believe them. How can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? 
the majority of people in our culture, when you talk to people about a relationship with Christ, are looking for more information. People show up at church, they're committed. They have questions. People don't move into a relationship with Christ because of a heart issue. The Spirit of God has got to prepare our hearts for this good news. No one makes a decision for Christ. It is the Spirit of God that connects with the spirit of an individual to help them move into having a relationship with his son. And Nicodemus is trying to figure this out from a mental perspective. What, I need more knowledge and wisdom here. I'm, I'm committed. I'm here to do the work. I still don't get it. And he doesn't get it because of this heart issue. And that's what faith is all about. It's a heart issue. It's not a knowledge issue. If you could prove it, something with beyond a shadow of a doubt, it removes faith. It's now fact. And we are called to live out by faith. When you look at the reality of Jesus' birth, it's a fact. If you look at the reality of what Jesus claims, it's a fact. He claimed these things. He wrote these things down. Believing them is a heart issue and where faith comes into play and where Jesus is trying to wrestle through with Nicodemus. Relationships are a heart issue. This issue for Nicodemus is a heart issue. In verse 13, Jesus will go on to say this. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended into heaven, the Son of Man. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was nothing before that. No one ascended into heaven except the man that can come down from heaven. Jesus is speaking to himself. He's pointing back to the fact that I am God. I'm the one that came down from heaven. Nobody else can do that except for me. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. And so Jesus appeals to Nicodemus's knowledge. He appeals to a story that he would be familiar with out of the book of Numbers, chapter 21. See, during Israel's 40 years of wandering in the desert after being freed from Egypt, they were complaining Nicodemus would have been familiar with that story. They complained about their journey. They complained about God. They complained about Moses. They complained about the food. They complained, they complained, they complained, and God finally gets fed up, and he sends a fiery serpent down. He sends a serpent among the people, and people start getting bit, and they start dying. Many people are dying, and um, they come to Moses, and they confess their sin. We're sorry for complaining. We're sorry, we're sorry. Please intercede for us on our behalf. So God says to Moses, Make a serpent, place it on a stick, put it in the middle of the camp. Whoever looks at that serpent and believes that I will heal them and save them, they will be saved. They will not die. What Jesus is saying here is one of the most clear statements about the nature of saving faith given anywhere in Scripture. True faith is always has an object and results in an action that keeping him with that belief. True faith always has an object attached to it, and there's results in our life that are an indication that we believe what we believe. That's why James says without, without works, faith is dead. We can't say that we believe in Jesus and then do whatever we want and live life our way. We have to make Jesus not just our Savior, but our Lord. And so the imagery that Jesus is using with Nicodemus is just like you can look upon that serpent and be saved. If you look at me with eyes of saving faith, you can be saved. 
and you will have eternal life. As you look through Nicodemus's life, I always it would have been nice that to see him repent, believe, and get baptized and be a part of the early church, you know, so we don't see exactly how this plays out in his life. But one of the things that we do know is Nicodemus takes the side of Jesus when he stands before the Sanhedrin in chapter 7. We see Jesus provides the spices at Jesus' death and his burial. So we see Nicodemus continue to show up in this story. But it's clear here that Jesus is trying to move Nicodemus from knowledge and commitment to a heart issue of what it means to have saving faith. And that's what relationships are all about. That's what our relationship with Christ is all about. It's about talking and listening to him. It's about setting time aside to talk and listen to him and letting him change us. And that's who we are together as the body of Christ. People have a relationship with Christ. We come in to be encouraged and to be strengthened in our faith. And we come into church sometimes to have our questions answered. And so maybe you're sitting here this morning and and you have questions about how to have a relationship with Christ. It begins by understanding that he needs to be the object of your faith by placing your faith in him. As you read through the rest of uh, the chapter, the conversation from Nicodemus and Jesus has ended. And then John starts to give us his perspective on what just happened. He says this, beginning in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And he points back to this conversation and says, If you want eternal life, if you want to be born again, you have to place your faith in Christ and him alone. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but they shall have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, You know, we are not here to make people feel bad or feel guilty. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He came to what? In order that the world might be saved through him. He's going to return a second time to judge the living and the dead, but he came the first time to help us to establish how to have a relationship with a father that loves us. We love him because he first loved us. And so John points us to this reality of what this means for us to have a relationship with our father. And then what it means for us, he flushes out in the subsequent verses. In verse 18, he says this, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. People have loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen his works have been carried out by God. And so as we look at our relationship with Nicodemus, you know, knowledge is important, commitment is important, but we have got to ask God to change and conform our hearts. And that's what relationships are all about. It's about wanting to be in relationship. It's about wanting a relationship with my wife, about wanting a relationship with my kids. It's about wanting to be in relationship with other believers that are going to encourage me in my faith. Those are heart issues. We can't say you need to be in a small group. It's important because that is information only. What we can do is try to help you understand from a heart perspective how important it is for you to grow in your faith and to be a part of that. As a church body, you have a spiritual gift. And so we can, ask, we can tell you, look, you, you need to serve somewhere. You have a spiritual gift. We need you to be committed to serve. But there's a heart issue at play here. We serve because he saved us. Serving is a heart issue. Being together is a heart issue. Some people come to church in the morning and they just, they just want a good sermon, fill my mind with information, and they walk out not transformed. 
God has got to transform our lives and transform our hearts. And that's what this series is going to be about. Each week, we're going to look at a one-on-one conversation with Jesus that I'm praying will change the way that we think about church, about ministry, and about our relationships. If you want to know more about how to have a relationship with Christ, I'd love the opportunity to talk with you about that. That's where it starts, is having a relationship with Christ. If you have questions about a relationship with Christ, about baptism, about membership, about being in a small group, about your spiritual gifts, about growing in your faith, about having an impact for the world, our pathway of spiritual growth is about having an impact in our community for Christ so that God's glorified. And I'd love the opportunity to talk with you more about that. I want to share one thing with you. Um, just to kind of let you know, we got some feedback from our church. The one slide that's got the percentages on it, red, blue, and green. And we got some feedback from uh, several of our key leaders. It's been my experiences. I've engaged with, you know, people at Springbrook. We are high on the wisdom side. People are intelligent. They're smart. Um, we have no shortage of wisdom and knowledge at Springbrook. And we have people that are committed. You realize we have 75% of the people at Springbrook serve somewhere in ministry. That's huge. We're high on knowledge. We're high on commitment. We are 20% in the power. So we serve because we know we need to. We serve out of commitment. I'm praying that God would transform the heart of our church as we move through this series together. We've got a prayer gathering coming up next Tuesday. That's a heart issue. It's an opportunity for us to connect with God individually and corporately together as the body of Christ. And I want to invite you to do that. We've got small groups coming up. Those are, those are opportunities for you to connect with the heart of being in relationships with other people and heart with God as we study and learn to live out these passages together. God's got great things in store for us and for this church. We're glad that you're here and that you can be a part of it. Let's pray and then we'll bring the extras forward. Father, I just want to thank you for our time together this morning and I thank you for the lessons that we can learn from Nicodemus and the lessons that we're going to learn as we move through this series together. God, I pray that you would uh, capture our hearts for things that are important to you. Uh, God, thank you that we can come together to encourage one another. Thank you for the work that you're doing in and through us individually and collectively in this body of Christ. We commit ourselves to you for your glory. For all these things in Jesus' name, amen.